Good morning, Dallas Bible. I'm excited to be here today because, you see, up until this point, I have been praying for this message for a couple months. I've been praying for it, actually, and preparing it for almost nine years. And when Pastor Aaron said, hey, would you be willing to share in August, I, I, just, I knew at that moment that this was the word that the Lord wanted me to share, specifically for this congregation, the body of Christ here in Dallas. And you see, every day as I've been preparing this message, I was listening to a song called Revivals in the Air. And just the title alone, it, it gets me excited. And something about this season that our nation is in, this song stirs my heart. In fact, the lyrics go like this, Revivals in the Air, catch it if you can. He's moving on the wind. The dawn is breaking. Lift your eyes to see. He's better than you dreamed. Everything you lost, love's returning. And it just, it stirred in me a hope that God can do something in this nation. But please let me establish first and foremost from my perspective, why do I think that revival for this nation could be right around the corner? Why do I believe that our nation is ripe for a move of God here it is, based on the Word of God and led by the Holy Spirit. Please allow me to establish the issue first in order to understand why we need revival. I think it's an obvious statement, but here in America, we're having a difficult time identifying biblical groundwork which we walk on. I think many times we're overlooking in our nation the history that God has shaped and molded for His glory. And I think over time, I think it's pretty obvious if you just pull back, we're disregarding the faith of Christ that so many of our founding fathers in this nation believed and lived out. The 28th president of the United States, Woodrow Wilson, he said, a nation which does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today, nor what it is trying to do. We are trying to do a futile thing if we do not know where we came from or what we have been about. In fact, I remember doing, uh, I did radio in, in the Dallas area for a couple years, and I remember doing an interview with a gentleman named David Barton. He's connected to the, the organization Wall Builders in Texas, and he identified the majority of the 56 founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence. They identified themselves as believers in Christ. Almost half of them had seminary degrees. In fact, David Barton would identify a founding father as a historic individual who helped bring upon the foundation and the development of the United States. So if the majority of our founding fathers established our nation on the principles of Christ, I want to make sure we don't forget them. In fact, John Adams in 1813, he wrote to Thomas Jefferson and he said, the general principles in which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I love Roger Sherman. He's one of the, the five, John Adams and Roger Sherman and Jefferson and Franklin and Robert Livingstone. Robert Sherman just said, and I love this line, that the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament are a revelation from God and a complete rule to direct, I love this, to direct us, to show us how we may glorify and enjoy him. So the foundation of our nation is on the word of God. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, he said this in his own writings. He said, I'm a real Christian. <laughs> I love that. I'm a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if our political figures would continually start saying, hey, I am a disciple of Christ because that's what our nation was founded upon. 
Now, some of you could say, well, man, why are you going all political on us? I'm not going political. I'm understanding how you and I were established here in this country. And this foundation is established on the Word of God. In fact, these men, influenced by Christ, they helped formulate the decision, watch this, to separate from Great Britain on July 2nd, 1776. Two days later, our nation still celebrates July 4th, the Declaration of Independence. It was signed declaring a new country. Four days later, July 8th, 1776, many people don't know this, but in front of the Independence Hall in Philadelphia, members of the Congress, they read the Declaration of the Independence aloud before the people. On July 4th, that was the day that I was born. It's the same day that my grandmother was born. There's something in my family lineage that I believe I'm supposed to declare for this country. I believe I'm supposed to declare the foundation of this nation was founded on the Word of God. And God won't let me shake my heart and my desire for this country. You see, before the Declaration of Independence was actually read, the Liberty Bell was read and rang aloud with freedom and justice. And I don't know if many people know this, but on top of the Liberty Bell is Leviticus 25.10. And the scripture says, proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all of the inhabitants thereof. I know that was intended for Israel, but yet we still can declare that freedom here in this nation. In fact, David Barton, he talks about this American exceptionalism. And he talks about how different, uh, different countries have had 15 different kind of organizations and governments. Brazil had seven at one time. Poland had seven. Afghanistan has had five since 1923. Over and over, these countries are restructuring and restructuring. But for some reason, God has lifted up America. It is God that has blessed this nation. Psalm 75, six through seven. Scripture says, exaltation does not come from the east, the west, or the desert, for God is the judge. He brings down one and exalts the other. It is God who has said, my hand is on this nation. Oliver Wolcott, he's a signer of the Declaration of Independence. It is most evident, he says, that this land is under the protection of the Almighty and that we shall be saved not by our wisdom nor by our might, but by the Lord of hosts who is wonderful in counsel and almighty in his operation. Do you see God has established this foundation? And over the course of these months, and I'd say over the course of the years, and really you guys, over the course of some decades, God has slowly been slipping away from our nation's memory. Or to say it differently, I believe we are straying away from our biblical principles that was once founded upon. And if we're not careful, we'll walk away from this knowledge of good and evil on our own free will. There's a song, Matt Carney, in my earlier days of pursuing this word, Matt Carney, he wrote some lyrics on a song called Girl America. And he writes, my girl America's crying when she's lying on her bed at night. I can see that she's screaming when she's dreaming for her freedom. My girl America dying is dying while she's trying just to stop this fight. Don't stop believing, my girl America. And I love that line, don't stop believing, America. Yeah, there's a lot going on. You've got the COVID, the pandemic. You have this civil unrest. You have a whole lot of hot buttons going on. But don't stop believing, America. I believe we have a lot to learn from the Israelites. When they turned their back against the Lord, when they did not remember, they fell to the side. In fact, just look at the, stat, the status of the Liberty Bell. No longer can we physically ring the bell as our founding fathers did in 1776. In fact, in 1846, there was a publication that came out. And it said the old independence 
bell. It rang its clear note, its last clear note on Monday, last in honor of the birthday of Washington. It now hangs in the great city steeple, irreparably cracked and dumb. You see, the, the bell doesn't ring anymore. We can only visit the bell. We can only talk about the Liberty Bell. Maybe a replica will come and you can visit it when it comes to your town. How can this be? Or the question is asked, how did we get to this point in our country? We, your people, have gradually abused the blessing of its liberty and freedom from heaven. The people have gone, I think this is a fair statement to say, have gone from the dependence of, of the divine to independence for mankind. And Paul says in Galatians, Galatians 5, 13, for you are called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another throughout love. Paul gives us encouragement and admonishment. The late Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade, he wrote in a book, Coming Revival, he says, we live in a nation that has lost its soul. You'd say, okay, Kyle, you're, you're being a little bit drastic. Hang in here. I just did some surveys and searches on headlines in the news. And I started to do it over the course of a couple months. In, in April, in the Register Guard in, in Eugene, Oregon, there's a title there, Divided Nation, Divided News, but can we find balance? The ABC News came out in May. It says, a nation divided. ABC News in June came out with, America in pain, what comes next? It was almost like saying, can we handle any more? Now listen to this one, Fox News in July of 16, 2020, here's the headline, and many of you might remember this, Florida Church's Statue of Jesus Beheaded. You guys, are you aware of this, that somebody came in and beheaded the Statue of Christ in Portland not too much long ago? The CBN News reported, and many of you saw these videos, Portland protesters burned Bibles in the American flag outside a federal courthouse. And so you got to ask a question, just because the, the Liberty Bell doesn't ring aloud, it doesn't imply, though, like, is, is it too late to alarm others how far we've strayed away? Is it too late? Can freedom be found again in this country? Do we really believe that absolute truth is available to each one of us? Jesus says in John 8, 31 through 32, he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We have all kinds of views today. Views that say, as believers, as followers of Christ, you have to compromise. We have to coexist with other, other religious views. Yes, we do. We have to actually love on them, but we don't accept their actual view. For too long, the American church is beginning to say, hey, what should we do with this? Our nation I believe, is on the brink of being lost in darkness. You can say, well, hey, that's real encouraging in this time, but hang on. I believe if we return to biblical foundations and principles that are established on Christ, I believe that there can still be change. But over and over again, you guys, we've seen great nations, the Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persians, the Greco-Macedonians, the Romans, Hitler's German, Austria-Hungarian, Mussolini's Italian Empire, Jap uh, the Japanese Empire of Hirohito, the British Empire, the USSR. All of these, all of these empires, what did they do? They, they fell. 
It's the Tower of Babel mentality, Genesis 11:4. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Can I just propose we've got to stop with the name stuff? Jim Nelson Black, he wrote, when nations die, could our own culture already be in the latter stages of decline? Is it possible that America, once universally acknowledged as the foremost economic and military power in the world, may one day, perhaps very soon, go to the way of Greece and Rome? Let me transition. We need to seek the Lord for our guidance. We need to seek the Lord for direction. In Deuteronomy 8, 19 through 20, do you remember the words of Moses? you remember God is encouraging them? Guys, please don't forget. It says, it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. <laughs> when I look at and I listen to this, I go to Henry Blackaby. Henry Blackaby, many of you have heard this, but I want to say this one more time. If society as a whole seems to be getting darker and darker, it's not the problem of darkness. The darkness is just acting like it's nature, but it is the light no longer dispels the darkness and the salt no longer preserves. It is time for the light to say, if things are getting darker, the problem is with us. My God. We need to repent. When I say we, who, who is we? It's the people of God who at one point fell in love with Jesus. And it's time to get back to him. We've hardened our hearts to the Lord. We've allowed us to become the priority. Our wants have become our ways. In Proverbs 14, 14, it says, The backslider in heart will have his fill of his own way. It's almost like we're enjoying the backsliding, enjoying the let the darkness go, because that's what's happening in our nation today. We're slowly pulling back. We're slowly pulling back. We're slowly pulling back when the reality is we have the answer. Richard Owen Roberts says, a backslider is a person who was once emptied of their ways and filled with the ways of God but gradually allowed their own ways to seep back in until they're all but empty of God and full of themselves again. When will we honestly identify the spiritual condition of the church? I don't know, when I look in the scriptures, I see wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked words, and sometimes I think, man, that, that, that's me. I don't want us to be ignorant of Satan's schemes, as it says in 2 Corinthians, of his strategies to slowly lull us into this backsliding mentality. Our nation is a prime candidate for revival. Revival is in the air. In fact, Walt Kaiser, a great man that I respect, he wrote, most revivals were preceded by a time of deep spiritual decline and despair. God, in other words, is on the back burner, but yet in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 6, it says, for our fathers were unfaithful and did what is evil in the sight of the Lord of God. They abandoned him, turned their faces away from the Lord's tabernacle, and turned their backs on him. And I just want to say, Lord God, please have mercy on us. You can say, man, Kyle, this is a lot of just, 
This is a lot of just like, this is what we're not doing. This is who we are. This is what we're not doing. Because I believe it's time that we release the voice that calls out the church. And I don't just mean a local church. I'm talking about the church in America. We must recognize where we came from. Where did we come from? It's foundation on the word of God. The people are so afraid. And so my prayer today is that this is simply a message of awareness first and foremost. You can say awareness. What, what is that? What does that have to do with anything? Because awareness is having the knowledge of something from having observed it or having been told about it. I believe part of my calling in my life is to bring an awareness to the church in America. Nehemiah had this awareness. He wanted to be aware of what was happening around him in, in Jerusalem. He wanted to be wise concerning his surroundings. So therefore, while in Susa, Nehemiah, he asked his brothers and some other men from Judah, to describe the current status of Jerusalem as well as the Jewish, Jewish people, and the report was not hopeful. So what you have to do in order to see that you need revival, you got to be aware of what we're facing. And I'm not talking about from the straight news. I'm just talking about from the Word of God. How do we compare what's happening with this? In Nehemiah 1.3, it says, They said to me, The remnant there in the province who survived the, the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem was broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah, he heard enough. The people were in great pain and sorrow. The walls of Jerusalem, Jerusalem were broken. The gates were burned. And Nehemiah was overwhelmed with sadness. Why do I pound this with statistics of like, this is where our nation is? Because I want you to be burdened for our nation. I want you to legitimately care. Like, do we really care we're falling apart? Because you see, Nehemiah, when he got to this point about Jerusalem, he's like, I can't take this anymore, God. And he cried out. Like, at what point is the status of the American church going to bother you to the point where you turn to the Lord? Like, I can't take it anymore. I get stats after stats. I go out in real life. I've traveled America for 13 years. I've interacted with the, some of the smallest churches and the largest churches, some of the most amazing, incredibly spirit-led churches, churches that are based on the Word of God, and yet we're not seeing change in our own towns. We're not seeing change in our own cultures. At what point will it break us? I went to Nashville, Tennessee with some friends, and just recently we interviewed a guy who... His name is Bobby Harrington, and he does incredible research. He's a pastor as well. And Bobby was referencing some Barna statistics, and these Barna statistics were talking about like how 10 years ago, when people were asked, like, what percentage of you are a practicing Christian? 10 years ago, they would say 50%, and that 50% didn't even have a standard. It just said, well, if I read the Bible, that would count. Or if I go to church, that would count. Or maybe if I just prayed, there was no standard to that 50%, but 50% were practicing and Bobby said to, this, to, said to us in an interview, he just said, you know, he said just this last year, Barna did another interview, and they found that 25% are only practicing. 25% are practicing Christians, and that doesn't even have a standard about what that even means. And why does this stat break my heart? Because it real reveals to me what's happening in the church. Come on, let's face it, we don't have a desire to get to know the Word of God. The American Bible Society, they released their annual state of the Bible survey. This just came out. And they said, do you realize that one out of ten actually read their Bible every day? You can say, well, Kyle, come on, let's not be legalistic. No, no, no. I don't think people understand. Like when you read the Word, you're getting to know 
Jesus. When you're getting into the absolute canon, the measuring rod, when you're getting to know this, you're getting to know everything for your life's instructions. And so at this point, I just want to cry out, oh Lord, revive us according to thy word, as it says in Psalm 119. In 2 Kings, 2 Kings 22, 8, do you remember this? King Josiah, he's repairing the temple. Do you remember this? He's, he's repairing the temple, and then there's a priest, and the priest finds the book of the law, and it says, I found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. And what I love is it's, like, it's almost like in America, we've got to find the book again. When we become aware of the need for revival through the word of God and how far we've actually strayed away from what we were founded upon, I believe when we see this, when there's an awareness in our country, let me just say specifically, when there's an awareness to the believers that at one point we're falling in love with Jesus, I believe we'll see a revival. And so what I did is the last two months, I wrote a message of repentance for the church. I put myself in Nehemiah's shoes and said, God, if I could speak on behalf of the church, what do you want me to say? So for two months, I I birthed the word. It comes in the form of a spoken word. And this spoken word, I believe, reflects my heart based on the scripture. And so out of obedience, I wrote a prayer. I wrote a prayer for the church in this nation. And it's a message of repentance for the body of Christ. God, in our nation at one point in time, we, your people, we knew the word. We cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. We believe we've been planted with the word of God, yet we willingly bite of the apple within. We repent, Father. In Genesis, Jesus is the seed with the only authority to help us overcome and strike the head of sin. We say in God we trust, yet who are we fooling? It's all about you and me. Please forgive us. In Exodus, Jesus is the deliverer, the Christ, the only one who can set us free. We memorize the word, yet continue in strife. We, your people, repent, God. In Leviticus, Jesus is the atonement, and through his blood, we have life, eternal life. We know he is our foundation. Unfortunately, our feet like the warm, shifty sand. Please forgive us. In Numbers, Jesus is the rock that established our steps on this land. We proclaim God's mercy to justify our darkness and not get caught. We repent. In Deuteronomy, Jesus is the prophet who shines the light and knows our every thought. In our nation, at one point in time, we, your people, we knew the word. We cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. We say maturity in the word is vital, yet we remain as youth. We repent. In Joshua, Jesus is the commander who will eventually return to enforce his holy truth. We say we walk a straight and narrow line, yet we confess we can't see it any longer. Please forgive us. In Judges, Jesus is the judge to carry out the Father's will and make his body stronger. Even though we hear we can't earn life, the shadows of our lives reflect our worldly good. Please forgive us, Father. Jesus is the kinsman redeemer to purchase eternal inheritance in only the way that he could. Why do we live in a posture of defeat when we say he is our victorious Messiah? We, your people, In 1 Samuel, Jesus is the anointed one called to rule and reign with the baptism of water and fire. We declare you're in charge, yet we enjoy our comfortable slothful chair. Please forgive us. In 2 Samuel, Jesus is the eternal throne where he sits next to the Father. He's coming back, so prepare. 
Why do we rejoice in man's knowledge and renown when only the kingdom of God will sustain? We, your people, repent. In 1 Kings, Jesus is something greater. As the angels will sing, the lamb is worthy to receive power and riches and fame. So we cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. We function in fear, yet the law slash prophets reveals the coming Messiah won't fail or fall. Please forgive us. In 2 Kings, Jesus is the surviving seed that has taken root downward and bear fruit upward to overcome all. When the word speaks about his coming, our hearts and apathy express aloud, whatever, please forgive us. In 1 Chronicles, Jesus is the son of David who will reign over his house and his kingdom forever and ever. Our hope is being placed on politicians' policies, yet we know a coming rule ruler will never fail. We repent. In 2 Chronicles, Jesus is the royal throne whom God has given a scepter of a rightness, but no doubt prevail. We say the word of God is true, yet we're fearful of the prophetic words to be fulfilled. Please forgive us. In Ezra, Jesus is the promise keeper, whereas yes and amen are coming to restore, revive, and rebuild. Even though we've been called to the kingdom task at hand, we've chosen to slow down. Please forgive us. In Nehemiah, Jesus is the builder who has equipped his people to confront the evil and deliver truth from town to town. We expect persecution, so we hide within our box of safety. We have been deceived, please forgive us. In Esther, Jesus is the despised one who broke the box and showed us what it meant to be rejected and not received. In our nation at one point in time, we your people, we knew the word. We cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. We know the curse of the law has been lifted Yet we continue to carry the weight. Please forgive us. In Job, Jesus is the promised redeemer who became the curse for all to bring about our cleansing from eternal fate. We lift our heads and sing with lips, yet our hearts barely beat for what he has done or will do. Please forgive us. In Psalms, Jesus is the king of glory, coming back in the radiance of God, the exact expression of his nature, just to name a few. We say we fear the Lord, yet we continue to walk down our own evil and neglected path. Please Forgive us. In Proverbs, Jesus is wisdom. He became our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption from God's wrath. Our hearts remain restless and ever searching, even with the revelation of his life for all to see. Please forgive us. In Ecclesiastes, Jesus is eternal, who was, who is, and who will always be because he paid the ultimate price for you and for me. Even with our vow before the Lord, we've become adulterous and loose in our way. Please forgive us. Let us wake up and get dressed in song of songs. Jesus is the bridegroom coming for the wedding feast on this great and famous day. In our nation at one point in time, we, your people, we knew the word. We cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. As we celebrate the virgin birth, our traditions have continued to trump his divine sign. We repent. And as Isaiah, Jesus is the Emmanuel. God with us, a difficult truth to swallow like when he turned water into wine. Even though we believe in prophecy, why do we live based on the past, the aging, and the old? Please forgive us. In Jeremiah, Jesus is the new covenant, not to abolish or destroy the law and prophets, but to be written on our hearts just as we were told. Because his mercies are new every morning, we justify our desire for temporary pleasure. We, your people, repent. In Lamentations, Jesus is my portion. And because of his blood and body, we are in only need of one thing. He is our treasure. We find security in our shepherd, yet we continue to escape the flock out of constant dare. Please forgive us. 
In Ezekiel, Jesus is the new David who will serve as a prince to tend and save his sheep. Let's embrace his care. We voice our hope in government structure, even though they'll be crushed and overthrown. Please forgive us. In Daniel, Jesus is the stone. And despite being rejected, we'll bring hope to Zion and reveal he is the chosen cornerstone. In our nation, at one point in time, we, your people, we knew the word. We cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. Until revival springs forth, we continue to turn to our idols and stumble and sin. Please forgive us. We repent, dear God, in Hosea, Jesus' unconditional love, where he asks of each one of us to give up ourselves that leads to change within. God will fight for his people in due time, so why do we hold on to this hatred and deep-seated bitterness? Please forgive us. In Joel, Jesus is the avenger, who will return to separate the sheep from the goats and clean up this earthly mess. We know what to do, yet refuse to turn. When plagues arise and the cities become sinfully polluted, please forgive us. In Amos, Jesus is the restorer, where days are coming, when he will obediently establish his people to be eternally rooted. We're taught to bless his people, yet we've selfishly climbed mountains of our own rewards. Please forgive us. Judgment is coming. In Obadiah, Jesus is the established king who will sovereignly bring deliverance to Israel because he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. When swallowed deeply in the belly of trouble, we forget with God all things are possible. We repent. In Jonah, Jesus is the resurrection. While in the heart of the earth, he came back to life and did the impossible. So we cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. We've ignored the voice of the Lord, even though he promises to guide and gather his flock. Please forgive us. In Micah, Jesus is the shepherd born in Bethlehem who came to lay down his life for us, his sheep, and teach us how to walk. Even with the promise of him bringing freedom, we willingly carry the yoke of weight. We repent. In Nahum, Jesus is the burden bearer who took on sin so that he could carry the burden and we no longer have to wait. Our impatience rattles our inner being, but we are instructed to wait when all is in disarray. Please forgive us. We know the end is near. In Habakkuk, Jesus is the coming salvation. And in a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Over and over. We've been warned judgment is close, yet we have delayed our repentance. Please forgive us. In Zephaniah, Jesus is the mighty warrior, faithful and true, coming on a white horse to restore those willing to confess him in acceptance. We emphasize a physical location, yet we know a shaking is coming to the heavens and earth. Please forgive us. In Haggai, Jesus is the greater temple. We need not worry. Our salvation is in the resurrection of Christ and the washing of rebirth. We say we believe, yet our lives don't bring jealousy to his people, only mocking and scorn. We repent, oh God. In Zechariah, Jesus is the pierced one. Eventually, a spirit of grace will be poured and his own will weep and mourn over their firstborn. We've become prodigal sons, yet despite warnings, we refuse to turn from our sin. Please forgive us. In Malachi, Jesus is a son of righteousness who will bring revival to the hearts of children, to their fathers and the fathers to their children. In our nation, at one point in time, we, your people, we knew the word. We cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. We believe in the one who arrived on a donkey, yet we stay PC and embrace other views. We repent. In Matthew, Jesus is the king. Just as the sign said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. We know we are to serve others at the same time we'd rather sit at the table. Please forgive us. In Mark, Jesus is the servant 
who set himself aside as a ransom and death has now been disabled. We recognize he serves as our model, but not to the point where we have to count the cost. We repent, God. In Luke, Jesus is the son of man who in his humanity is willing to seek and save the lost. We believe in the miracles and signs of Jesus, but don't expect to do greater things than he. Please forgive us. In John, Jesus is the son of God. To show the father and son are one and for all who believe have life guarantee. In our nation at one point in time, we, your people, we knew the word. We cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. We declare God is in control, yet our lives reveal we often pick and choose. We repent. In Acts, Jesus is the authority in heaven and on earth who has commissioned us to go and share the good news. In our nation, at one point in time, we, your people, we knew the word. We cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. We know our actions don't earn us points, so why pour new wine into old wineskins? Please forgive us. In Romans, Jesus is the justifier. And by God's grace, through the redeeming work of the cross, he has passed over our sins. Our earthly body fuels with pride. Even though we know this led to the original garden fall, we, your people, repent. In 1 Corinthians, Jesus is the last Adam, the life-giving spirit to resurrect us into the image of the heavenly man meant for all. Even with extraordinary power within, we live as clay jars being crushed and destroyed. Please forgive us. In 2 Corinthians, Jesus is the treasure and through his death and life revealed in our bodies was meant to shine, nothing to avoid. The chains of flesh we constantly place around our necks despite knowing the pain of his bravery, we repent. In Galatians, Jesus is the liberator. He set us free. So let us stand firm and no longer submit to the yoke of slavery. Within the church, we must be asked, why are we hesitant to submit and to succumb? Please forgive us. It shouldn't be a question. In Ephesians, Jesus is the head, where he's been appointed over the body, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. As Jesus did, we need to humble ourselves. Yet, why do we strive for personal gain and fame? Please forgive us. In Philippians, Jesus is the exalted one because of his obedient death. It was he who was given the name that is above every name. So we cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. We know we're held by him, yet we mask our disturbing emotions of doubt and disgust. We repent. In Colossians, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead to reconcile all things through his shed blood and establish peace and trust. We use the word imminent like we believe, but our lives continue to push the button of snooze. Please forgive us. In 1 Thessalonians, Jesus is the coming Lord. Wake up. He'll descend with a shout from heaven to gather those who embrace good news. We have confidence in him. Sadly, we don't see the message rapidly spread. Please forgive us. In 2 Thessalonians, Jesus is the faithful Lord who will strengthen us from the evil one and give us the power to trample and tread. We try and we try and we try to get to the other side, yet we know there's only one bridge. Please forgive us. In 1 Timothy, Jesus is the mediator. Between God and humanity, he serves as a ransom for all to cross to the eternal ridge. It's time for sound doctrine. And stop bitching ears who desire to hear something new. We, your people, repent. In 2 Timothy, Jesus is the righteous judge who's going to judge the living and the dead with no exceptions through and through. As we wait for the blessed hope, why have we become more about the works that we've done? Please forgive us. In Titus, Jesus is the savior 
Having been justified by his grace, we have been washed and renewed by the love of God's Son. When others do us wrong or we are to express mercy, we're always keeping tally and count. We repent. In Philemon, Jesus is the master, our only master, the Messiah who brings about forgiveness, charges it to his own account. In our nation at one point in time, we are people, we knew the word, we cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to that word. Even though the curtain of flesh was opened through his blood, we can't stay entrenched in sin, we repent. In Hebrews, Jesus is the high priest, giving us a new way to live, to draw near with a true heart and sprinkle clean from within over and over. We hear, don't talk the talk, rather walk the walk, lest us not become forgetful. Please forgive us. In James, Jesus is the perfect law who provides freedom and focus to become doers of the word to be fruitful. Because of his mercy, we're given a new birth, yet over time we've become fearful and afraid. Please forgive us. In First Peter, Jesus is the living hope. Through the resurrection of the dead, we have an inheritance that won't perish, rust, or fade because his call is to the straight and narrow. Many attempt to mislead us in their false ways. Please forgive us, beware. In 2 Peter, Jesus is the master of truth where no man has ever spoken like him with authority and power in all of our days. There is no fear in love, yet with the fear of punishment and death, at times it remains unclear. Please forgive us. In 1 John, Jesus is the perfect love where God in human flesh gave his life on the cross to drive out fear. So we cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. Even with the word of God as a bedrock for our nation, some say there's no truth whatsoever. Please forgive us. In 2 John, Jesus is the truth who came to testify. The truth that remains in us will be with us forever. We know we are to reflect his sinless ways, yet we feel the tension of imitating what is evil. We, your people, repent. In 3 John, Jesus is the perfect example. So when we have the mind of Christ and we walk as he did, we will see a true spiritual upheaval. We must keep ourselves in the love of God and not cave to the ways of promiscuity and denial. Please forgive us. In Jude, Jesus is the merciful Lord who in these times calls us to stand firm and snatch others from the fiery trial. In our nation at one point in time, we, your people, we knew your word. And we cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Now is the time not to slack. Please forgive us. In Revelation, Jesus is the I am. The one who is, who was, and who is coming. The Almighty will be back. In our nation, at one point in time, we, your people, we knew the word. We cry out, revive us, O Lord, according to thy word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we seek repentance, and when we get to know the word, I believe it's an invitation to fall in love with Jesus all over again. You see, in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in John 1, 14, it says, the word became flesh, this is an invitation to the church in America, please. Let us get to know the word. Unfortunately, as Dr. Robert Coleman says, in recent years, the experience of revival has declined. 
Many true disciples of Christ, they've kept the reality alive. And from time to time, scattered local areas have seen general outpourings of the Spirit. Nevertheless, no real national awakening has come in our lifetime. We cannot expect to drift much longer. So please, God, may those that are listening, may we experience repentance in our lives, and may we turn to thy word. Revive me, O Lord, according to thy word. Amen.